Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Alliance Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Don't have a co-host tonight. Uh, we got, as all of you know, we have 9 to 5s. Uh, other folks at the site are a little bit busy, so we decided to go out, get one of our friends from the Penn State football beat to come on and talk through Penn State's game against Michigan this week with me, the Nittany Lions, playing host to the 6th-ranked 8-1 Wolverines game that kicks off at noon from Beaver Stadium on ABC this Saturday, and to help me break things down, we went over uh, to Penn Live. Got our friend Daniel Gallon. Daniel, what's going on, man? I'm doing good, Bill. Uh, nothing much. It's a Thursday night in State College, uh, and I think uh, the weather's finally going to get bad uh, up here. So, feels great. Well, the good news is that Penn State is not going to be playing against a team that can run the ball at will on them in really gross and sloppy conditions. And if that does happen, as we know from the Illinois game, Penn State is very good at stopping teams from running all over them. So it should be a fun week, eh? Oh, yeah. I think you. I think that's the right summation right there. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Daniel and I were talking a bit before the game and, like, I'm coming at, from, at this game from the perspective of someone who is a Penn State fan, someone who is looking at this game uh, with uh, blue and white tinted glasses on. And I told Daniel, like, listen, I, I, I'm not convinced that Penn State is able to keep this within a touchdown. And Daniel generally agrees with me. We'll get into the how, we'll get into the why, we'll get into all those sorts of things uh, in a little bit, but Daniel, before we do any of that stuff, before we make some predictions, whatever that might be, what are just your general thoughts, kind of big picture thoughts? Uh, we'll, for, we'll start uh, as someone who covers this team on this Penn State football season. Uh, again, just broadly, I mean, we're sitting here six and three, three and three in conference play. Things really turned about a month ago. What's it just been like being around this team, and how have your thoughts on them evolved as the season has gone on? Yeah, it's been a really interesting uh, couple of months. I think that you just mentioned it. It was pretty much exactly a month ago. We were in Iowa City, uh, number three versus number four matchup. And then Sean Clifford gets hurt and everything just kind of the bottom just kind of falls out. And there's kind of those the two weeks uh, after Clifford got hurt, the bye week and then the Illinois game and then going into the Ohio State game. It's kind of like oh, this could bottom out. Like, this could be really bad. But then they found their footing against Ohio State. Um, Obviously, it wasn't enough, uh, given what Ohio State is. Uh, It was enough against Maryland. And then, so you kind of have that stability um, and kind of going into this game, it's just, it's hard to tell kind of where exactly we are because we're not where we were in in the game against Indiana this this team right now isn't as good as that team or isn't playing as well as that team. But at the same time, the Ohio State result was kind of I I didn't pick Ohio State to cover, but I didn't necessarily pick it to be a super close game. I thought Ohio State would win comfortably, um, but I thought that Penn State would at least make it interesting because that's how those games always are. But it was even more than that. And then the Maryland game, obviously, the final score is kind of augmented by that pick six. So it wasn't necessarily that close, but that's also what the defense has kind of been doing all year. So I feel over the past two weeks, I, I feel better um, about Penn State. But at the same time, I watched the second half of that Iowa game. Obviously, the Taquan Roberson circumstances are different. And like 
we all saw what happened against Illinois. I mean, this is still that team. So I, 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 I want to ask just your thoughts on something that you said, which is it's not the same team that we saw play against Indiana. Because I agree with that, and I uh, I think there is basically there, there is basically one major personnel difference between the team that played against Indiana. But I think that even beyond the loss of PJ Mustaver, it's just felt to me like since the Indiana game, there's been this lack of con- well. Indiana game plus the first half of the Iowa game, I'll add. Mm. There's just been this general broad lack of confidence about this, uh, about the offense in particular. Defense is a different story. But this general lack of confidence that I think has, uh, it's caught up to them a little bit. It caught up to them big time against Illinois. And I think they started to find that maybe over the last two games, but not to the extent they were at the beginning of the season. What do you mean when you say you don't think that this is the same team that played in that game against Indiana. Cause I do think that's an interesting thought worth exploring a little bit. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it, it almost kind of oversimplifies it, but it all goes back to the quarterback and it all goes back to Sean Clifford. I mean, he's someone who is never lacking for confidence um, in kind of how he plays and, and his interactions and stuff. But I think that um, it's just, he says he's getting better. He says he's closer to 100%. Um, obviously, I was very surprised by how he looked against Ohio State and Maryland based on how he looked against Illinois because in you know in my uh, non-football player head, playing football games is not necessarily how you get healthier um, after having uh, an injury like that. So, um, But I think that the, it's the fact that Clifford can't or won't or they're not using his legs right now. I was looking at his game logs and the past three games, he has minus yards rushing. Of course, in college, you factor in sacks and stuff, but in the first six games of the season, he only had minus uh, or negative rushing yards once. And I think that that was something that really kind of opened up the offense. And I think it helped open up the running game a little bit more, even though the running game wasn't necessarily clicking because at that point, Clifford's in the backfield. You have to account for him as a runner. That's someone's eyes that's not on Noah Kane or Kevon Lee or something. And then even with him using his legs, I'm a big fan of the play where you start to scramble up to the line of scrimmage, draw the defender up, and then just pop the pass over, which he was doing a couple times. He did in the Indiana game to great success. Um, and he just kind of doesn't have that element right now. And so... It just makes the offense different. It just kind of it turns him into that kind of pocket passer, which he's not necessarily the best at. I mean, I think that there's a lot of reasons why the running game hasn't been good this year, but that's another thing that contributes to that. So that's kind of where it looks like to, looks at to me in terms of this being different than what we were looking at um, Indiana, in the Indiana game, and then obviously on the other side of the ball, just losing Mustafer. Like, I think that's been pretty evident how big that was. Yeah, now you add in the fact that Jesse Lukita uh, missed last week's game, and I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he's, James Franklin has basically said, we'll see when we get there if, uh, if he's going to play this weekend, correct? Correct, yeah. He said they're, they're hopeful, which who knows what that actually <laughs> means. James Franklin has never... James Franklin has two modes with injuries. It is either you are out for the season or he is hopeful that you will play this week, and that's it. And 
that doesn't matter. You could have a broken leg that won't heal until the last game of the year, and James Franklin is going to say he is hopeful that you will play. So, yeah, we're I, 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 I'm now operating under the assumption that Jesse Lukita will not be playing uh, in, the, in this football game uh, this weekend. Uh, but, yeah, just to kind of go back to a point you were raising, that Indiana game, Clifford ran the ball 10 times for 58 yards. Uh, it's been... Quite stark since then. He ran the ball three times for 36 yards against Iowa, and then it's just been a whole lot of nothing. And that's something I think uh, we're going to talk about at length with this uh, this game against Michigan, because I do think having that element of the quarterback run in Penn State's offense is going to be really important. And let's use that as a segue into talking about the game a bit. Uh, again, we'll break down Penn State's offense against Michigan's defense and vice versa in a second, but... Daniel, I just want to get kind of your broad thoughts on this game, whether it's uh, from the perspective of watching Penn State, perspective of research you've done on Michigan. If you if you want to get any jokes off about Jim Harbaugh, this is a safe space. By all means, go ahead and do that. Just what's on your mind? Yeah, I think that the thing that really stands out to me when looking at this game is that it's really hard for me to find the points um, when you look at how both of these teams match up. Um, I mean, I was kind of surprised at the spread, um, how, you know, Michigan getting favored or no Penn, the fact that Penn State was favored kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit. Uh, I like a pick them feels about right to me. Um, but I would have personally thought Michigan by a field goal, uh, even at Beaver Stadium, just because, um, you know, Michigan, I don't know, like no one in the Big Ten has really proven much, quote unquote, this year. But I do feel like Michigan has at least been consistent in how they've done things this year, um, whereas Penn State, at least on defense, has been consistent, but overall just hasn't necessarily been. So I think my first, the first thing I looked at was just kind of where are the points going to be? Uh, you should probably take the under. Um, it's, it's not going to be a shootout um, based on how the Penn State defense plays and how the Michigan defense plays. Yeah, and let's... Let's use that as a way to dive into Penn State's offense against mm-hmm. Michigan's defense. I think so, – so my one broad take on this football game is that there is one thing that Michigan's defense does exceptionally well, and it's used – there are two things that Michigan does exceptionally well. On defense, it is used those two really good defensive ends, David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson, to get into the backfield, free up – speed quarterbacks up a little bit, blow up running plays, and make it so if you're putting Daxton Hill, they're very good defensive back. Josh Ross, they're really good linebacker. The opportunity to make big plays, they're going to go out and they're going to do that. And on the other side of the football, uh, they're just really good at getting big, getting physical up front, and running it. And when I look at Penn State, two things that I – I think it is a good football team. Two things it's not particularly good at is surviving in the trenches when the other team is throwing everything at you and being able to keep a pair of really game-breaking defensive linemen out of the backfield, particularly on running plays. So I just think they have like that one they have one big trump card on either side of the football. And starting with Penn State's offense against Michigan's defense, Daniel, like that's where it kind of starts for me. The che- I don't think there's necessarily going to be a huge chess match involved or anything like that. I just think Michigan is going to ask those two real good defensive ends 
to pin their ears back, get into the backfield, and blow things up. And then whatever happens behind them in the secondary with their linebackers is going to happen. I, th- that is where 99% of my concern comes with this. What do you think about this matchup between Penn State's offense and Michigan's defense? Yeah, I think that speeding Clifford up and trying to force him into into some mistakes is going to be, I mean, that's how you beat Penn State, um, especially since the injury. I mean, the most striking thing about the first half of the season for Clifford up until the injury was the fact that he'd thrown two interceptions against Iowa, including an absolutely awful one on that first play. Um, And Penn State was still winning by two touchdowns. Like the fact that we were in that situation was uh, pretty absurd. Um, And so I think that Ojabo and Hutchinson, they'll they'll have their opportunities. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how Penn State plays it. Uh, I mean, the pass blocking hasn't been that bad this year. Obviously, the the running game is completely different. I think Rasheed Walker has been pretty good. Um, Caden Wallace at right tackle is he has one or two reps a game um, where you just kind of where where you're watching it and you just kind of see everything that can possibly go wrong, go wrong. I remember uh, Nick Herbig uh, from Wisconsin. There's just had one speed rush on him in the opener that has really stuck in my mind. So I don't know if that means we'll see Brenton Strange or Theo Johnson doing more chipping at the line on the edge. Um, Noah Kane in there. Kevon Lee staying into pass block. Um, so I think that that's kind of the, I really, I really think we're going to see a lot from the Penn, the Michigan defense attacking the Penn state offense. And then on the Penn state offense, I mean, Clifford's thrown the ball 99 times the past two games and just the way that Michigan plays defense, that doesn't really seem like the right formula, but also it's kind of the only formula right now with what the Michigan defense does against their run and what the Penn state offense does running the ball. So, I mean, I think that this is going to be another game where you look at the box score at the end and you, you know, you filter out whatever Clifford did um, uh, to kind of get the accurate running numbers. And then it's like another 3.3 yards per carry game uh, with the running backs, maybe having 16 carries or 17, 18 carries total, um, which just doesn't really paint the right picture uh, for, for an offense. Yeah, and as we look at Michigan's defense, uh, they are second in the Big Ten in total yards per game, second in uh, total yards allowed per game, second in uh, passing defense, uh, sixth in rushing defense, and third in scoring defense by SP+. Plus. They are eighth in the country, and it's something that you and I have mentioned uh a little bit, Daniel, like I, I think Sean Clifford will be okay. Like as a passer, like, you know, I just think he's a, you know, I think he's a solid, reliable quarterback. I think that, you know, he, he's probably knows has a pretty good idea not to just like straight up force things against Michigan's defense. If it's not going to be there (laughs) Uh, at, at the same time, if he just wants to huck it up to John Dotson, that's never going to be too bad of an idea. But to me, Again, it's a thing you and I mentioned. I think that element of him running the football has to be there. And I almost wonder if they didn't have him run. I, I believe they said something after the – Clifford said something after the Illinois game where he said he was instructed to not run the ball to kind of protect himself 
too much. And I, I almost like there's part of me with just how much healthier he has looked. If they basically said you don't need to run the ball too terribly much against Maryland, because I think if they are going to kind of bring that element of the offense back, this is probably the game to do it, both between how Michigan's offense has been a little, defense has been a little bit susceptible when you're running the ball and Penn State's general issues uh, moving the ball on the ground. Clifford talked about this a little bit on Wednesday um, where he talked about staying in for the half second longer to go through his progression. Um, as opposed to taking off and getting out of the pocket earlier. Now, who knows if that's him just kind of, uh, you know, retrofitting um, an explanation for for how he's been playing, or if it's something that uh, he's actually really been been focusing on. But I think that in the Ohio State game, he had he he was moving early and he got out of the pocket like early in the game. So he he kind of showed that. Um, which I thought was interesting and, and good to see. And then I think at Maryland, there just kind of wasn't necessarily um, as much of a need to do that. But I think that there's going to be guys that are going to be free and he's going to have to avoid them. Um, and so I think that he's going to have to use his legs. And it's just kind of, I think it'll, I, like, I think it'll be fine, but the it's just really hard to kind of gauge the health stuff for me. You know, like, just the the fact that he the hit that he took and how kind of uncomfortable he looked against Illinois and just the way that football works part of me is like all right how much healthier can you actually be how much are you kind of quote-unquote managing pain versus kind of and picking your spots to do different things Um, but I think that Clifford just kind of has to I think the one thing that he showed against Maryland and against Ohio State for the most part is kind of keeping the composure. And I think that that's kind of something that can help mm-hmm. make up um, when you're at least a little physically hampered. Yeah, I mean, he did. He didn't seem in either of those games to be like really super mega desperate at any point, which like that, that's, that kind of goes back to the whole maturation of Sean Clifford over the course of his career thing. Like he's a third year starting quarterback in the Big Ten. You shouldn't be at that point. <laughs> but at the same time, I think he has a pretty good sense generally of when to take off and when to try and fight to keep a play alive. Having said that, I would really like to see him, even if it's not necessarily on drop back, there's nothing there, all right, I'm going to take off. Just having a little bit more of the design quarterback run thing, a read option sort of look, whatever that might be. While you were talking, I went back and I looked at Penn State's game Last year against Michigan, uh, Clifford ran the ball nine times for 73 yards and a score. Kayvon Lee ran it 22 times for 134 yards and a score. Daniel, I'm a bit pessimistic we're going to see that again, but uh, I, I, I do think last week we started to see Kayvon Lee do some things. Not like blow anyone away, not... Uh, you know, this guy has the potential to be an All-American type running back sort of things, but do just enough in his eight-carry fit for 50-yard performance against Maryland that, like, I think Penn State can maybe move the ball a little bit on this Michigan defense. Yeah, I think Lee is the type of back who can move the ball. Um, He's kind of been the most reliable this year at at picking up some chunks. Um, He's had some bad plays 
uh, in terms of trying to balance things outside, uh, you know, instead of taking the, the easy three, trying to get nine and losing four and just kind of, and torpedo torpedoing, uh, some drives. But I think that he's someone who could have uh, a good game because he's, he's shown that explosiveness. Um, we haven't gotten it from, from Noah Kane. John Lovett has shown a little bit of it when it comes to getting out on the edge. Um, especially in some of the the passes out of the backfield earlier this year, you kind of saw his explosiveness. Um, and then Devin Ford has been MIA. So I think that Lee is kind of who you look to. Um, but I think it's just kind of the question of whether or not he's going to get um, enough chances uh, to make it happen. Um, James Franklin, the past two days, has kind of... The, the discussion about balance has come up where, like, oh, you don't want to be balanced just for balance's sake. Um, you want to do what's working. You want to make things happen that way. But, I mean, Kevon Lee has had ten, the, his uh, season high in carries is 10. Um, he's had eight carries three other times, but he hasn't necessarily gotten kind of that lion's share where you can just kind of say, all right, you're going to get the ball. If we get first downs, you're going to get the ball four or five times on – two straight possessions and we'll see what see what you can do they just kind of haven't done that it's been all rotational and um they a lot of people talk about um the the hot hand when it comes to running backs and i don't know if they've been in the position where the hands have been able to get hot enough to ride um whereas you look at what michigan's done this year with quorum and haskins and they've been able to really kind of pound it sometimes so their running game has just been a it's just been pretty uh, mystifying to watch this year. Anything that involves the offensive line, I tend to kind of defer judgment just because I know how complicated it can be. And there's so many moving parts there, but it just kind of doesn't make sense with what was coming back in both units, especially with how Clifford was playing when Clifford was playing while throwing the ball, the running game still wasn't opening up. So it's just kind of the, the thing where unless uh, Jahan Dotson goes off again, unless Clifford goes off again, it's just kind of, it's hard to see moving the ball on a consistent drive to drive basis. Yeah. A big thing that like we've mentioned on the pod a few times is that like, I just think there is a lack of a, 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 I I don't want to, I never want it to sound like they're lacking a Saquon Barkley or Miles Sanders because those guys are just like special players, but just like that kind of number one clear cut, the dude guy that you can give the ball to 25 times as a running back and they can compensate for some of the issues that they might exist up front. I think they have a lot of number two running backs and not that like one dude who is just like the guy among the unit. And I think that they are going to, I, I think at a certain point they need to just pick a guy and stick with them. And I think if they're doing that, it's it kind of has to be Lee from what we've seen. And I do think that Lee's size and strength and physicality, especially when he taps into that and he really decides, I'm going to lower my shoulders and I'm just going to get to it. I'm not going to worry about fumbling. I'm not going to worry about you know this only being a two or a three yard carry. I think that's when he is at his best and most effective. And I think he is going to have the opportunity to do that against Michigan. Uh, I don't think that... uh, I think that Clifford is probably 
the quarterback best equipped of anyone that Michigan has played this season to really throw the ball on them. Like, this is not to say that, you know, Adrian Martinez is a bad quarterback or uh, Peyton Thorne is a bad quarterback. Peyton Thorne didn't have to throw the ball too terribly much. They were able to just get it to Kenneth Walker and he was able to cook. Adrian Martinez went for 291 yards against this defense. I think it's a good secondary. I also think that this is going to be the best challenge that they face. Uh, where do you come down on it, Daniel? Do you think that this is going to just be another Jahan Dotson show, or do you think that Penn State's not going to be able to get away with doing that sort of thing against a more talented Michigan defense? Yeah, I, I don't think we'll see a, um, a similar performance from Jahan Dotson like we saw last week, uh, even though that would be a lot of fun. Um, I, it has been, like, as someone first time on the beat uh, who covered a very bad and unexciting Philadelphia Eagles team last year, <laughs> uh, watching Jahan Dotson play football this year has been, uh, like, unarguably, like, the best part of the job. It's been so fun um, going back and watching his highlights against Maryland. It was just kind of, uh, you're seeing someone who, who's at the top of their game. Um, and I think that Michigan... The talent level in the back end might be a little bit, a little bit greater um, than what we've seen, just because of how Michigan recruits. Um, I think that it's just better talent. I don't know if it's necessarily better players um, that Penn State has seen from earlier this year, but I think that you look at the rest of the wide receiver core, and I kept coming back. Parker Washington's had a quiet couple of weeks, and I think that when you talk about the short passing game being the extension of the running game. Um, I think that Washington is the the prime mover in that. And I think that this is the type of game where he'll need to come up big uh, based on the the defense. But uh, a little bit further down uh, on my list of X factors, uh, I have Keandre Lambert Smith. And I think that he had the big game. Um, he's like all of his big games are kind of just have the, the big catches in them. Um, he seems to just always have that. He always gets the the big game, um, but he hasn't had kind of the the big game yet. You look at his his game logs, and it's uh, the his most catches in a game this year are five. Mostly, it's just two, three, two, maybe a four catch game in there. But at the same time, he's averaging fifteen and a half yards per catch, which is the highest on the team. So he's making some really big plays. And James Franklin said that uh, he feels that Lambert Smith is kind of due. Um, for one of those big breakout games, um, whether it happens at some point this season or it waits until next season, I, I do think it's coming. Um, I think that we'll get one of those kind of eight catch, 120, 130 yards, one or two touchdowns. I think that um, I'm in on his talent being able to do that. Um, and I think that if you know, I don't necessarily, I don't know how much Mike McDonald is subject to recency bias when it comes to Jahan Dotson, but I think that if you're watching that film from last week, you're really thinking, okay, how do we stop Dotson? And I think that that, I think Lambert Smith is someone who can be the, the biggest beneficiary from that. Yeah, and last year's game, uh, you mentioned Parker Washington last year against uh, Michigan. They put the clamps on Dotson, three catches, 30 yards. Washington, nine for 93. He's a guy who's had some success against this Michigan defense before, and obviously uh, Michigan has had a coaching change on the defensive side of the football. Things are going to be a little bit different, but 
He has a little bit of familiarity with the guys on this defense. Uh, Lambert Smith is just a fascinating guy to me as a general thing, because, like, you see the talent. You can tell that this is a guy who, once he really does piece it all together, he's going to be a very good football player. And we've seen a couple of flashes out of him in the last however many weeks. I mean, I feel like early in the season, you talked about that extension of the running game. Uh, you mentioned using the passing game as an extension of the running game. And it's it felt to me like they were using Lambert Smith in that capacity. And now they're starting to attack down the field a little bit more. And they know he's 6'1", 184, has a level of physicality to him that, uh, you know, Dotson... Dawson has, but it's not inherent to him, and Washington doesn't really have. So I, I think he's a guy who, him and the tight ends, like if they're going to focus on Jahan Dotson, those are the guys you need to like tear this Michigan defense apart because it, like, it's a good defense. They're going to be able to take away the thing or things that you want to do, and you need to have answers off of that. And I trust that they will be able to do that. I don't have as much trust on the other side of the football because while Michigan uh, 17th in defensive SP plus this season, uh, third in total yards, uh, total yards on offense, uh, I believe seventh or eighth in passing yards on offense, second in scoring offense only to Ohio State, and first in rushing offense. There was a quote that John Scott, Jr., Penn State's defensive line coach, gave today where he said, it'd be no surprise at all to see them line up and try to uh, run a jumbo package. We've looked at that. Our kids have seen it on tape, and they won't get caught off guard if that's what Michigan tries to do, Daniel. I think they can plan for that all they want. I think they won't necessarily be surprised anything like that if Michigan comes out and runs jumbo. But I think they're, that even if you know what's coming, that's something that's really hard to stop. And with what has happened to Penn State's defensive line over the course of the season, uh, I don't know, man. Oh, 100%, Bill. Like, it's it's one thing to say that you know something is coming. Like, it's one thing to say that you know that, yeah, they're going to put nine 300-pound men on the line of scrimmage. Uh, and then it's another thing to, you know, put your a bunch of uh, redshirt freshman redshirt sophomore guys that are still physically developing out there on the other side and kind of have them play back on their heels so I don't like it was kind of reassuring to hear that um to kind of be like okay like they know like they're ostensibly learning um but obviously how that might look in practice um is going to be pretty interesting I mean losing Mustafer it's just he was such a large man um in the middle (laughs) And like he had the he had the belly going on this year. Like he really just kind of looked the part of your uh, of your nose tackle, your your big guy down there in the middle of the defense. And um, I like Tangelo as a player, but he's a lot more of a complimentary guy. Izzard is more of a complimentary guy. Ellie's is kind of the he's that shorter squatter complimentary guy. So it's just kind of like I mean, obviously PJ Mustafers don't necessarily grow on trees. Um, unless you're maybe Georgia or Alabama. Yeah. Um, but I think that him not being there, it's just kind of, it's, it's really hard to, uh, you, know, you just get repetitive uh, in talking about how, how much he's missed. But like, I think that, like, I don't think that Penn State will get run on as badly as they did against Illinois. I think that that was just kind of an, I think that was just kind of an anomaly 
um, for whatever, chalk it up to whatever you want. The weather, the noon start coming off the bye, still being deflated from the Iowa game. Um, it's just kind of the, it just felt like such an outlier performance um, that it's, it's, hard for, it's hard for me to see that happening again. And then I think that the other part of that performance defensively is that, okay, they gave up 367 yards rushing. The game went nine overtimes, and Illinois still only had 20 points. It's just like, like that's almost more impressive than, than when, when you think about it. So it's hard for me to – like, I can see Michigan moving the ball well, but I don't think I, – I just don't really see a situation where it's a, a repeat of Illinois. Just, like, there might be success, but I, I just don't see it happening at, to that degree again. Yeah, I, I – Michigan's offensive line is fine. Their running backs, uh, if it's just Hassan Haskins, that's going to be enough of a problem. It might be. It's unclear whether or not Blake Corum is going to be able to play in that game. Uh, But the dynamic they have of uh, Haskins being that really physical, bruising runner, and then Corum coming in and just gashing your defense – it's legitimately fun to watch if it is not happening against your football team. But I, I like I generally agree. Like I think that even if this is one of those games where Penn State gives up a lot of yards and there is success to be had on the ground by the Wolverines, I think it's, you know, 200, 250 yards as opposed to 200, 250 yards on like four yards per carry as opposed to what they saw out of Illinois, which was like, in addition to everything else, just like a really good reminder that you're dealing with a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds and sometimes just can't get their focus to be totally on the thing ahead of them, which I can say as someone who was an 18 to 22 year old man at one point. Uh, I, I What I will say is this though. I think if Penn State can control get some amount of control on the line of scrimmage um if they can bottle up haskins a little bit you know he only has a driver to because like i'm a little bit skeptical of quorum playing he had his foot in a boot over the weekend and like i just can't reconcile in my brain that you can go from having your foot in a boot for the first time on one saturday to playing the following saturday so let's just hypothetically say it is just haskins I think he'll get his, but I don't think he will, like, demolish this Penn State defense. I think that Michigan's passing attack is, like, passable. I don't think it's great. I think Cade McNamara, I don't want to call him a game manager because I think it had, that does actually have, like, a bit of a negative connotation. But he is good at just, like, protecting the ball. He's never going to, like, try and huck it down the field. He's going to make really smart throws all over the place. I think that there is a path for Penn State's defense to do what it has done a decent amount of this season, Daniel, which is basically say, listen, you're going to move the ball on us. Oh, that's okay. We don't think you have the guys when it comes down to it to punch it into the end zone, at least not as like frequently as you might think with how much success you're able to have moving the football. Oh, yeah. That's kind of like the the inverse of the, this line that I used going into the Ohio state game where I was like, you know, Penn, going into Ohio state, it was all right. Penn state's been playing Ben don't break, but they're going in, they're going up against an offense that is completely designed to break you. And it broke them a couple of times. And that was the game. 
Whereas against Michigan, Michigan is, you know, Penn State's playing bend, don't break, but Michigan is an offense that isn't really designed to break you. Um, so it's kind of hard to see those big plays getting popping off or kind of like with what you said, like, I think it's going to be a lot of field goals for Jake Moody. Um, I think that Michigan will drive the ball, but when the field condenses and McNamara isn't kind of that, he doesn't strike you as the type of guy that is going to make that tough back shoulder throw in the corner of the end zone into a tight window uh, to get the touchdown when, you know, from the eight yard line on third and goal or something. Um, I think that that's kind of how I look at the Michigan offense where I think that I think it's going to make Penn State bend plenty, but it just like Corum is the type of guy that can break you. But, you know, like we said, his status is up in the air. So it's kind of hard to see Michigan putting together um, the type of game that you'll need to really put some distance on Penn State. Yeah, I mean, I like, don't get me wrong. Like, I it's very possible that Michigan has, you know, 12 possessions in this game and scores on four of them. But that also might just be enough with how little Penn State is going to be able to run the football. Uh, I want to get your thoughts uh, on their quarterback situation because um, to me, and I do not say this lightly, (laughs) it is one of the weirdest things that I have seen in college football. It is very... It is very blatant that they more or less told J.J. Uh, McCarthy, you're going to come and you're going to play a ton because we don't like the guys we have. And then Cade McNamara was just better than they anticipated. And he's been a very solid quarterback, a, a perfectly reliable option. But every now and then they just decide, okay, we're going to pull him and put in McCarthy so he doesn't get mad and transfer. Like it's, it's very – like I really do not think if you have not watched Michigan play football, you can really comprehend how just inexplicable it is that they will pull McNamara on like one second and seven and then put him right back into the football game. So what are just your thoughts, Daniel, on their quarterback room? Uh, you know, especially considering they don't really have like their number one pass catcher, Ronnie Bell went down at the very beginning of the season. This isn't like a dynamic receiver room. Well, um, as you might expect, uh, my colleague, my colleague, Dave Jones, has a lot of opinions on a lot of things. One of, <laughs> one of the things he has very strong opinions on is how Michigan is handling its quarterback situation, um, especially in that Michigan State game uh, with kind of how things turned uh, when McCarthy was in the game. But yeah, I mean, it's the it's kind of the it's the name of the game right now. You got to keep those quarterbacks happy. Um, and I think that McNamara is one of those guys where it's you feel kind of bad saying this because where it's just like he hasn't been bad enough this year for them um, to to make the move to McCarthy. He's been mm-hmm. just perfectly serviceable, which is enough to get you to eight and one. Um, I don't know if it's enough. That might not be enough to win um, in the college football playoff, whereas McCarthy has kind of that that wider variance as a true freshman, but a five star. Um, so I think it's a, it is an interesting dynamic. And then when you look kind of in the, the larger picture of, uh, the Jim Harbaugh era, I mean, has, is Cade McNamara the most, uh, reliable or I guess best quarterback they've had since Jake Rudock? Like, I mean, Shea Patterson had his moments, but it wasn't 
Shea Patterson was, was supposed to be the five star and that kind of never really materialized. So for someone who's supposed to be the quarterback whisperer, it, it hasn't really manifested and you, it makes you kind of wonder that like given kind of the, the situation with Harbaugh's contract and everything, it does kind of feel like that. All right, we're getting the five star. We're going to ride them. That might buy us some extra time. Um, and then it just kind of hasn't worked out that way. But yeah, but I mean, it, yeah. But it also hasn't worked out that way in a way that has made them eight and one. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. <laughs> I you you phrased it really well when you said that like he just hasn't been bad enough. Which, my God, it's it, it, I I really cannot put put it into words. They. It's a mix of they will just sometimes give McCarthy entire drive. And, like, that's what fascinates me the most about this game. The one thing that I think Penn State's defense is going to do a really good job of is when McCarthy is in, they're going to throw a ton of looks at him. They're going to throw him pressure that he has never seen before. And they are going – like, they are going – I think they will make Michigan pay for deciding we are going to try and appease this five-star quarterback. I actually think McNamara is, like – a good quarterback to play against Penn State because he's exceptional at getting the ball out quickly and accurately in a window that just barely opens up. So, like, I wouldn't take him out of this game at all, even if I wasn't weirded out by this entire strategy. (laughs) But, like, I think that this could actually be – like, it would actually be very good for Michigan. Every time Penn State sees J.J. McCarthy on the field – I think Brent Pry kind of has a duty to say we're ramping the pressure up to 11. Brandon Smith, you're blitzing. Curtis Jacobs, you're blitzing. Daquan Hardy, you're blitzing. If they make us pay, they make us pay, but the reward outweighs the risk here. Like I think that that is – when they are given that little something, they really have to take it in a way that they haven't always been able to do this season. Yeah, especially the like the way that Michigan plays in terms of really controlling games when it comes to the running game, when it comes to McNamara being efficient. Um, when you put McCarthy into the game, it just kind of opens up a little bit of daylight um, for a defense where, all right, this is going to be something different than what we're seeing from the normal offense. Um, and I think that that means that the defense can change. The defense can play, go out of its game plan a little bit because – they won't necessarily get burned by McNamara getting the ball out quickly if McCart if uh, Daquan Hardy's blitzing out of the slot. So I think that there's if I was rewriting my prediction uh, that ran, ran this morning after having this conversation, I might say for my bold prediction of the game, I might say that the game turns when JJ McCarthy is on the field. Um, but I think that it is the whole situation. I mean, the is really interesting. Um, kind of the with how keeping a five-star happy, um, kind of what you need to kind of get over the hump. Because, um, I mean, even if Michigan's 9-0 at this point, they're if they beat Michigan State, they're probably in the top four still. But you're not really being like, yeah, Cade McNamara is the guy to win two games in the college football playoff. Um, whereas maybe if J.J. McCarthy is in there and you have that kind of ceiling, but also the lower floor, you're like, all right, this guy could do it himself. Um, so it's just, it's weird. Like, I think that that, that's kind of a subplot that the more I've kind of gone through the week, thought about this game, I've been like, 
oh yeah, I'm gonna have you're gonna have to be on high alert when you see McCarthy into the game and what that means for Smith, Jacobs, Hardy, Brisker, Jair Brown, who's kind of on a hot streak with big plays. These are the types of guys that I mean Arnold Avakedi, I think Avakedi might have a sack in every Big Ten game he's played this year, something like that. Like it's they're gonna get after him and I think that that's kind of where you can kind of go out of the they always talk about playing within the framework of the defense that's the big kind of that's the uh game day version of going one and know every week is defensively play within the framework of the defense but when the offense goes out of its framework you can go out of your framework and then you can have you know you can make some things happen yeah and i i think people might be wondering why we're going that in depth on this one thing uh when just logically, I think you look at how Penn State would use a Will Levis or a Tommy Stevens go. It can't be that much. Against Michigan State, Michigan had 83 offensive snaps. McNamara played 71 of them. McCarthy played 12 of them. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but 12 plays, if you think about it, that's three three and outs. That is like potentially three drives where three drives worth of plays where they are saying, okay, we're just going to give the football to this true freshman. And that, like, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Jair Brown. I think he's a guy that, like, you have seen his confidence bloom in recent days and weeks. And I think just with this Michigan passing game in general, they kind of lack that guy who is going to, re- you know, um, Mike Stainer still might be able to do that, but they have a lot of big physical receivers and kind of lack that kind of like top end speed, quick twitch sort of dude. So like for one, I think that's going to be really good for uh, Joey Porter Jr. and Tariq Castro Fields because I think they're just better with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like it, it's just an interesting dynamic that I think has the potential has the potential to play out where if if they put that back up and even if they have McNamara. In there, this Penn State secondary is going to have the opportunity to be really physical with an opposing wide receiver unit, and I think that's something that they just inherently are good at and like doing. Who are the players, Daniel, for either team who you are really keeping an eye on uh, as we're heading into this game and as this game is going to end up playing out? One guy I haven't mentioned yet um, that I that I put down on my list. I think we've, we've touched on most of the other ones, but Ellis Brooks, um, when you're talking about going into a game uh, against a, a run-heavy team, he's the middle linebacker. Uh, he was sensational against Wisconsin in week one. Uh, he was really good against Iowa. He's just kind of, he's had a really good year. Obviously, Brandon Smith, Curtis Jacobs are two guys that have a lot more hype, and obviously Jesse Lucetta uh, was a little bit more prominent of a player than Brooks, uh, given his status on the team. But I think that Brooks has just been really solid this year. Um, it's hard to call what he's done spectacular, just because he doesn't necessarily. He's just in the right place at the right time. He doesn't have kind of the the Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs wow plays, um, but he's just been super consistent this year. So I think that that's someone that I've just been really kind of looking forward to seeing what he can do. And it wouldn't be a surprise uh, to me to see him have another, you know, 13 tackles, 11 solo uh, type game. 
For me, when I look at uh, both of these teams, for Penn State, it's really just whomever they toss along that defensive line. I think that I think that they are going to need to be able to one get home because of how quickly they get the foot they have K McNamara get the football out and just be able to win up front and make it so a guy like Ellis Brooks or a guy like Jair Brown or Jaquan Brisker is going to be able to get to whomever is playing running back quickly and stop. What was the issue against Illinois? It wasn't necessarily that Illinois was running the ball. It was that they were getting to the second and third level with tons of consistency, and that started with how Pennsylvania was getting pushed around in front. So if they can do that, if they could, if the guys like Derek Tangelo, Kazayas, or Devon Ellis, uh, Jesse Lukita, if he plays Nick Tarver and Arnold Ebiketti, can, I'll just say, win more often than they lose. I'm not going to sit out here and say I need them to be, you know, an, an all, you know, the Rams defensive line. Just be able to win consistently enough that things makes things are easier for the second and third levels of your defense. Then I think they're going to be fine. The other guy I'm really fat, like I cannot wait to watch Daxton Hill in this football game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, oh, I don't, yeah. I don't know if you saw it today, uh, but uh, the fine folks over at on three released uh, something called five star plus, which is just a, list every single year of consensus five stars and Hill was on that list. And he's just a guy who has shown that he has the tendencies to be a game breaker. And with how Ojabo and Hutchinson, I think every Penn state fan really needs to just like take a deep breath, understand they're going to get into the backfield. Both of these dudes are going to be playing on Sundays next year. Both of them are going to hear their names called in the first round. Ojabo, if he comes out, but Hutchinson definitely if they put Hill in a position to make big plays, he is going to make them. And he's the guy I just cannot wait to watch for Michigan. What about yourself? Yeah, Hill is someone who came up in, in some of my reading and listening to other podcasts this week where he's gone from kind of being the, the traditional uh, you know, deep safety, um, a coverage guy, and they've started moving him around a little bit more, bringing him into the box, putting him in the slot. Just kind of one of those kind of Swiss Army knife um, types of guys. I think that he's someone that um, has kind of that that game breaker potential, can really kind of make things happen. And I think that Penn State, they've seen a couple of those types of guys this year. I think after the Indiana game, a lot of people were talking about Micah McFadden kind of being in the Mm. right place and kind of getting everywhere a step faster than they were expecting. Um, so I think that that's kind of, um, but that's, you know, he's a linebacker. It's different. He's not necessarily back there in the secondary. I'm sure I'm overlooking some other really good defensive backs they played this year, but I think that this is kind of the most that we've talked about, um, a defensive back going into a game. And I think that he's someone where they're going to move him around. They're going to put him in the position and, I think that he's just someone that has kind of that nose for the football that he's going to end up around the ball. And it's kind of Penn State is going to have to do what it can to kind of, you know, move things away from him, keep him away from the ball. Um, and it also doesn't hurt that he has a great name, too, that it's, it's easy <laughs> to remember. 
Yes, I, I mean Daxton Hill and David Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson are all just like spectacular mm-hmm. names for indomitable defensive players. Uh, let's get into X factors. Who are the player or players in this game who uh, maybe we haven't mentioned, maybe we have, but you want to give them a little more shine? Who you think could be really impactful and how this one plays out? For Penn State on offense, I'm saying Keandre Lambert Smith. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think that Dotson is kind of the the understood X factor. Um, given how the season has gone. But I think that for what we talked about earlier with Lambert Smith, I think that if he gets the ball in his hands in space, he can make some things happen. He's made some good catches downfield. He's kind of, he's always, they're always targeting him downfield. So I think that that's that's someone that on the offensive side, I think that could be one of those guys who makes the plays that on Sunday, you're like, okay, that's where the game changed. And then, Defensively, Arnold Evacetti, um, I think I'm talking myself into some big play when J.J. McCarthy is in the game um, and Evacetti makes a play. Um, so I think those are my Penn State X-Factors. Um, and then for Michigan, obviously Hill um, for the reasons that we talked about. And and I think also, I think McCarthy can be an X-Factor, uh, positive or negative. Um We've talked about the Penn State offense defense being really aggressive and kind of seeing these as, as opportunities to take advantage of, but that's the type of thing where it can flip the other way pretty quickly. So yeah. I think that'll be something to watch. And then if if Corum was 100% healthy, I would probably say him, but it seems a little unlikely that we'll get 100% Blake Corum. Yeah, for me, I have to go with Parker Washington. Uh, I just think that mm-hmm. with how I anticipate Michigan is going to focus on Jahan Dotson, both off of the strength of last week and just like he's really good at football, and and yeah, just how they focus on Dotson, there is going to be space for oh, and the speed with which they're going to get into the backfield on a kick. Like, you can have two very good offensive tackles and you're just not keeping these dudes out of the backfield with any sort of consistency. They're, Sean Cooper's going to have to get the ball out real quick, and that just screams Parker Washington to me. Uh, and then on the other side of the football, I'm going with Jair Brown just because of his big play-making ability. I don't know if uh, the people know this, but Mel Kuyper put out his uh, updated top 10 at each position uh, chart and has Brown as he is now his number six safety in this upcoming draft class. So he, his, oh, his wow. play. Yeah. His, uh, I believe I, mi- I missed that. Yeah. He has a brisker at two or three and then Brown at six. So his profile has been blowing up lately and he doesn't seem like a guy who's going to what, like, you know, I don't know if he's reading that stuff or anything like that, but he doesn't seem like a kind of guy who is going to, uh, go from, getting all that sort of hype, all that sort of publicity to suddenly cratering. Uh, And then for Michigan, the one guy that we have not spoken about, and I am not trying to like be a a super like mega bro who always talks about kicking the football here. Uh, (laughs) But Jake Moody legitimately might be the best place kicker in the country. 21 for 23 on field goal attempts. Uh, Two misses are from 40 to 49 yards, but everything else, including a 52 yarder he has made, including all of his PATs. I think that if it comes down to his leg, 
he is going to make Penn State pay, even if it is a pretty nasty day in State College. Uh, but all, the, all in all, like I think this is going to be a really tough football game. Uh, let's do some real quick fill in the blank, Daniel, and then we'll give our predictions on this. Michigan wins this game if blank. Michigan wins the game if they can run the ball and Cade McNamara doesn't have to do too much while Sean Clifford can't get going. Yeah, I think Michigan wins the game if if they can finish drives. Just, just even if that means ending with three points. I think that if Penn State's going to play Ben but don't break, they have to be able to finish drives. So Michigan wins this game if they finish drives and they can bottle up Jahan Dotson because I like I don't think Penn State's going to run the ball particularly well in this game, and I think if you take Dotson out, that's just like such a potential death knell for Penn State's offense. But other side of this, Penn State wins this game if blank. Penn State wins this game if the running game finds a pulse against the defense and Jahan Dotson plays like Jahan Dotson. I think Penn State wins this game if they learn from the Illinois game can apply that to this game and, you know, kind of flipping it on their head. They are able to take advantage when they're in positions to punch the ball and on, particularly on the ground, because I think that's where things are going to open up for them. Let's pick would some you, score. Oh, go ahead. Would, oh, would you consider Dotson to be the best player on the field in this game? Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. it's not to take away from Aiden Hutchinson. It's not to take away from David Ajabo. It's not to take away from Daxton Hill. Like, dude, just, he is, he is one of the most technically sound wide receivers that I have seen in college. And like, I just don't know, I don't know how you bottle him all the way up because it's not like he's a guy who's crazy dependent on his speed or his agility. Like you just throw the ball near him. And I I actually think this was something that was written uh, either by ES by Kuiper or by Dan Brugler over at the Athletic, he's five eleven, but has the best catching radius of a five eleven wide receiver that I've ever seen. What what do you, what do you think? Like, do you think I, I I wouldn't besmirch anyone for saying one of those defensive ends for Michigan or Daxton Hill, but what what do you think? Yeah, I think Dotson is is number one, and then you slot in Hutchinson Hutchinson and Ojabo in there at. Two, three, and then after that, you kind of have a mess with, you know, Daxton Hill, Brisker, um, pick your Penn State linebacker, or Joey Porter Jr. or something. Um, but I do think that this is going to be the game where I don't necessarily know if Penn State will have the best unit, the best of the four units on the field, but I think they'll have the best player. And I think that that's, that's something that when you're picking a game where the spread's only one point and you're looking on the margins, that's something that kind of stands out to me as like, okay, maybe this is the guy, this is the the edge, this is the the sliver of opportunity that they have. Well, let's get into picking this football game. FPI has Michigan at about a 54% chance of winning it. Uh, line open at Penn, as Penn State is a one-point favorite. That has now moved to Michigan, a one-and-a-half-point favorite over under 48-and-a-half. Our pal Bill Conley, SP+, Plus, has Michigan winning this game. 25 to 23. Daniel, you hear all that. You think of everything we've talked about over the last hour. What do you think uh, when it comes to a prediction? I have Michigan 24, Penn State 18. I think that it's going to to be kind of a, a mucky game. So 
I mean, both of those numbers are divisible by three, so you can kind of do some math there uh, to, see, <laughs> to, to see maybe how we get there. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just kind of – it's just hard for me to see the Penn State offense really putting up enough points against the Michigan defense. Um, and then I think that with kind of how Penn State – the Penn State defense is played, it's that bend, don't break. Uh, and while I said the Michigan uh, offense isn't necessarily designed to break you, it's still more talented than the Maryland offense in certain areas. It's still kind of a little bit more consistent uh, than some of the other offenses that they've seen. So I think that that's kind of where I kind of, I just feel like Michigan is kind of the more, the more solid team and they might not have as high of a ceiling given what Penn state has with, some of its talent on both sides of the ball. But I also think that Michigan's floor is a lot higher than Penn State's if this turns into a pretty ugly game or a tight, bad game or, or something like that. Yeah, I, uh, I I think that there will also be field goals in this game. Uh, maybe not quite as many uh, as you do, but I have this one at Michigan 27, Penn State 20 or 23, something like that. I, I just think that the point you made about Michigan won't break you, I think is break your defense is a really good one, but I think that they are designed to really test the limits of how much bending Penn State's defense wants to do. And I just don't know how tenable that's going to be when it's continuously running the football. And then on the other side of things, like I, I just think that they are going to live in the Nittany Lion backfield. And I have a lot of trust in Sean Clifford and Mike Yurcich to be able to figure out a way to compensate for that and to, uh, you know, not have, you know, run for one on first down, run for one or a passing play for two yards on second down, sack on third down be just the thing that happens all game. But I, I just have a little more faith in Michigan's ability to have, you know, just really be able to impose their will on this football game. Uh, especially it's supposed to be like gross and rainy on Saturday, correct? I think tomorrow the weather, I think tomorrow is supposed to be the bad day, but that stuff kind of has a, has a tendency to, to linger uh, a little bit. Um, as we've been talking, one of my weather apps has given me a bunch of notifications that it's, about to start raining and it's windy outside and i think that it's just going to be uh i think it's going to be that weekend where the weather turns um from being nice fall to to gross fall i also just realized picking 28 saying something like 28 to 23 means that i like have the overhitting and now i feel really bad (laughs) like now i i I really hate that prediction uh yeah daniel any any final thoughts you have about this game no, I mean I'm I'm excited. Uh, it's not quite the the whiteout. Uh, I'm I'm here for a helmet stripe game, um, but I am excited. Uh, I I haven't been. I missed the Illinois game, so I have not been in Beaver Stadium since that Indiana game. So I'm I'm excited to be back there. Um, I do think that uh, when it comes to kind of game day environments, I definitely give. Uh, college environments a lot more credence than NFL environments in terms of being able to to shape a game and, and change things so I think that it's going to be uh even though it's a nooner I think it'll still be a a pretty rowdy uh afternoon in, in Happy Valley so I'm 
And that's that's all I want. That's yeah. Like, that, when I'm in the press box, that's what I want to see. And like at the end of the day, like you you want to watch a good football game. You don't want this to end Michigan 35, Penn State 10 or, or anything. Not because like you cover Penn State and you're biased or anything. Because like it, it's just so much more fun to be in the stadium for a good football game. Oh yeah. I mean, well, Michigan. Michigan 35, Penn State 10, or uh, Penn State 9, Michigan 6. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, we get, let's avoid the extremes yes. uh, this weekend. <laughs> yes. Well, Daniel, thank you very much for coming on the pod. Uh, let the people know where they can find you. Thanks, Bill. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Daniel JT Gallon. You can read my work on PennLive.com, PennLive.com slash Penn State Football. If you happen to live in the Harrisburg area, pick up that copy of the Patriot News uh, when it comes out. Um, and if you want to find me anywhere else on the internet, uh, just type in Daniel J.T. Gallon and it'll get you there one way or another uh, via the platform of your choosing. Yeah, and, and you also cover the most important team on campus, Penn State basketball, correct? Oh, yeah. I'm surprised, yeah. We, I'm surprised we waited this long to get into that. <laughs> Uh, uh, God, I, fine, I'll, I, I, will, I will ask, how did, uh, what did you think of the team last night? Uh, I thought that they're, so I, when I first started working for Penn Live back in 2016, I spent two years covering preps um, in, uh, in Philadelphia. So I covered Seth Lundy in high school. I covered Sam Sessoms in high school. And they were two of my favorite guys to watch um, at that level. So it's fun to kind of see their developments. And so, for me, watching Sam Sessoms play, he can do no wrong. It's just always entertaining yes. um, to watch someone like that play. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it kind of looked like a team that is going to struggle in the Big Ten. The front court depth, a lot of questions there. Um, but I think that they have the types of players like Lundy, um, like Sessoms, like Hera, and Jalen Pickett, the transfer from Siena, started slow, but... I think he's also the type of guy that they have these guys that can get hot. And in some of these games, you just need one guy to get hot. Then you can win. Pickett, the way he moves is just like so funky. I can't put like a finger on it, but I inherently have to watch a lot of basketball. And I've just never seen someone who like moves like Jalen Pickett does. But he's also, like, very good at basketball, and John Harrer rebounds everything. And uh, and Sam Sessoms, like, there there is a prominent NBA player who no one believes is actually six feet tall uh, and is listed as such. And Sam Sessoms looks like he's about 5'8 out there and just is in total control of every basketball game. He is awesome. I'm, uh, I, I'm glad you are getting to experience uh, – the team that is probably the source of most uh, bad things that happen in my brain, Penn State basketball. So it really is a beautiful thing to experience. Yeah, when when Big Ten play starts having back on, we can we can go in depth. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Daniel. One last time, thank you for coming on this, and thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. Keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to buy some shirts and make sure you're following us on all of our various social media accounts. One last time, thank you everyone for listening. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, y'all.